You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and today on the podcast... I have a little bit of a different episode for you. I'm going to preview this week's edition of Clean Old Fashioned Hate, and by popular request, I'm going to get a head start on previewing next week's SEC Championship game against Alabama here in Atlanta. And the reason for that is quite simply, that's what you guys have asked for. When we opened up the mailbag for questions this week following the Charleston Southern win, we had quite a few listeners ask us to just completely forego a traditional preview of the Tech game, just like we did for Charleston Southern, in favor of diving right into the SEC Championship matchup with Alabama. So, as a show of the people, that's what we try to be, I put the question to our listeners at large on social media. What do you guys want? A traditional game preview episode for Georgia Tech? Or do you want me to get a head start on previewing this SEC championship game against Bama? And the results came back, like literally split right down the middle 50-50. And honestly, like I will say my personal inclination was to do at least some form of a preview for the Tech game. I figured there wouldn't be a ton of interest in that just based off how Tech season has gone and how much interest there is, obviously, in the game next week against Alabama. I get that. And look, I know. I know that Tech's 3-8. and eight. I know they just got walloped 55 to nothing by Notre Dame. And I know in a lot of your minds, this is just a dilapidated speed bump on our way to far more important matters next week. But y'all know me by now. If you've listened for a while, you know how I operate. It's entirely irrational. I understand that. I know it. I recognize it. But somewhere deep in the outer regions of my brain, there is this little voice telling me that if I just completely ignore tech, that some way, somehow, I'm cursing our team. I know. I know it's irrational. I know it is. I know it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I know it's absurdly ridiculous to even think that anything I say or do on this podcast has any impact on what happens on the field with our football team. I get that. The rational part of my brain, my prefrontal cortex, tells me that, yeah, Tyler, you're an idiot. You need to chill out, dude. 
But you know what? Rational or not, I don't care. With the season that we have put together and the possibilities that lay in front of us, all of our hopes and dreams, you damn well know I'm not taking any chances. I'm not going to even put out like the slightest bit of bad vibes out there. So due to that, and of course the fact that at least half of you out there wanted a tech preview, we're going to do at least a little preview of our matchup with the nerds. It's not going to be the full-on deep dive that we normally do, but it'll at least be something. Enough to satiate that part of my brain that is the owner and operator of the remnants of the old Georgia syndrome that I'm still trying to recover from. But after that, we will transition to a very early look at the SEC Championship matchup with Alabama before diving headfirst into that next week. But before we get into all that, I do just want to remind you guys The next time you make a trip to the Classic City, make sure to book your stay at the Normaltown Cottage here in the heart of Athens in Normaltown. The really, for my money, hands down the best part of Athens. It's an absolutely gorgeous neighborhood, very safe, secure, incredibly convenient to anything and everything that you want to do in the city. There's a ton of really cool bars and restaurants. You got Normal Bar, Old Pal. If you're in the grungy vibe, you've got High Low right down the street, literally just a short walk away. And downtown is just a short distance down Prince Avenue as well. So guys, I'm telling you, like, don't worry about the hotels. I mean, the overpriced hotels, you got no comforts of home. It's, uh, it could be clean. It might not be. You never know. You don't have to worry about it with the Normaltown Cottage. When you book a stay at the Normaltown Cottage, you know with confidence that you're going to have a safe, comfortable convenient stay that fits all of your needs. So next time you're making your trip to Athens for whatever it might be, make sure to book your stay at the Normal Town Cottage on Airbnb. But all right, guys, let's get into this kind of dual preview today. And let's start with the joke by Coke. As I mentioned at the outset, tech is not good. In fact, they have been playing their worst football of the season down the stretch. And that's saying something because they never really were playing good football. Yeah, I guess they pushed Clemson way back in week three, which was the sign to all of us that, oh, maybe Clemson isn't that good. And then they followed that up with a win over North Carolina at home, who we still kind of thought was pretty good at the time. Like North Carolina had lost a season opener to Virginia Tech, but we still felt Sam Howell was like a Heisman Trophy candidate at that time. It's like when they lost to Tech, it's like, oh, yeah, let's completely put the kibosh on Sam Howell as a Heisman Trophy candidate. So they won that game. And you're like, oh, maybe Tech's decent this year. And then they played a pretty good Virginia team well. And I mean, well, I, if you call a 48-40 loss playing them well. Offensively, they put up points, but everyone does on Virginia, but they couldn't stop them because Virginia is really good on offense. But man, they have really disintegrated down the stretch. Entering this weekend, they have now lost five straight games in six of their last seven. But that's just the tip of the iceberg of how bad Georgia Tech has been. Defensively, they have been as bad as anyone in the country over the last month or so. And there is not the slightest shred of hyperbole in that statement. Over the course of this five-game losing streak, they have given up 500 or more yards of offense four times, including in each of the last three games. And also, yeah, throw in a 636-yard game allowed against Virginia a couple weeks back. The, in fact, the only game they did not give up 500 yards in over the, over the last five games, all these these five games they've lost, was a game against Virginia Tech where they gave up 491 yards to a very, very subpar Virginia Tech offense. Actually, if you do the math, 
Tech has given up 541.8 yards per game over the last five games during this five-game losing streak, which, if extrapolated out over the entire season, would be dead last in the country. Actually, 20 yards more per game than Arkansas State, who is currently, if you look at the entire season, dead last in the country in yards per game allowed. As it stands... Over the course of the season, Tech is 114th national total defense, giving up 454 yards a game. And here's the kicker. If I can even possibly make that sound any worse, that's tough to do because that's bad enough. But in that losing streak, five in a row, they've only played like one really good offense. Yes, Virginia is awesome on offense. They're top five nationally. And on cue, Tech gave up 626 yards to Virginia, as you might imagine, in that game. But the other four teams they've lost to in this losing streak, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, Boston College, Miami, if you average out their offensive numbers, they average out to the 72nd best offense, only averaging 393 yards a game. What I'm saying is, guys, this isn't Ohio State that's putting up those kind of numbers on Tech. I would get it if you're playing Ohio State, if you're playing Alabama, Ole Miss, Wake Forest week in and week out. I get it. But that's not the case. They're playing very, very average offenses, and they're getting torched by these very, very average offenses. And here's just a few more defensive numbers to kind of paint the picture even more clearly for you. They are 118th nationally in third down defense, allowing opponents to convert on 46% of their third down opportunities, which is crazy, guys. I mean, when you start approaching 50%, third down conversions allowed, that is abysmal. And again, the 118th nationally, that kind of paints the picture there. They're also 113th nationally in explosive plays allowed. They've given up 61 plays of 20 or more yards on the season. To kind of put that in context, guys, I know we're really, really good at limiting big plays, as good as anyone in the country, actually better than anyone in the country. We've only allowed 23 plays of 20 or more yards on the entire season. Like we're almost three times better than they are in limiting explosive plays. They're also 101st national in rush defense, giving up 180 yards a game on the ground. But as bad as that is, it's not as bad as they are in in pass defense. They're actually 120th national against the pass, giving up 275 yards a game. And again, guys, it's not like, if you look at their schedule, they've played a ton of explosive passing offenses. Yes, they've played two teams that I would say are like top 10 caliber passing offense. They played Virginia and they played Pitt. Those two teams are really good. Brandon Armstrong, I think, is the best quarterback in the country. For my money, no one talks about him. Brandon Armstrong is freaking awesome. He outdueled Kenny Pickett last week in that matchup between Virginia and Pitt. Pitt's just a better overall team because Virginia cannot stop anybody on defense. So yes, they played two good offenses with two really good passing quarterbacks. But outside of that, it's tough to find anyone on their schedule where you would say, oh yeah, that those teams are really good. So, I mean, Clemson? Clemson can't throw the football. Virginia Tech, are you kidding me? Not even close. BC, they played BC without their starting quarterback. Jerkovic was out in that game. And then you got the likes of Duke, Kennesaw State, Northern Illinois. I guess North Carolina is pretty good throwing the football, but certainly not as dynamic through the air as they have been in the past couple years. So again, it's not like these are the best offenses in the country that are lighting Tech up. And that's what's happening game in and game out. They are getting absolutely lit up on defense. And their issue is pretty simple. They just don't have any game changers at all. This is where recruiting is really caught up to them because Jeff Collins is a defensive guy. I mean, he's like Kirby Smart. He's not Kirby Smart, obviously, but he has a similar background in that he is a defensive guy. He's a former defensive coordinator back at Florida, right? He's a defensive dude. And 
to see them struggle this much on that side of the ball, I think that's really telling in terms of where this tech team is from a talent standpoint. They just quite simply do not have anybody that scares you on defense. They don't have any game changers. They don't have anybody that's, that when you're watching the tape leading into the game, you're saying, okay, man, this guy's got to be the top of our scouting report. They just don't have anybody like that. I mean, most teams, even bad defenses, usually have like at least a guy, like somebody you got to be aware of. When you watch Tech play, who stands out to you? Like those of you who have been brave enough to actually watch a Georgia Tech game this year. I mean, it's been tough for you guys. You know, past couple weeks, try and get ready for this for this week's episode. Try and get ready for this game to actually sit down and watch Georgia Tech play, it's been tough. I feel like you're kind of wasting your time. It's like, oh my God, they're so bad. But when you watch them play, if any of you have actually done that, who stands out to you on defense? Like who? Who even flashes to you? They just don't really have those guys. And they're kind of in this strange situation. You don't see this all that often where a defense is almost as bad as they are against the run as they are against the pass. Usually the a defense might not be very good. Even like the worst defenses, they're usually better at stopping one of those two things, whether it's the run or the pass. It's usually one of them that just kills them. Like Michigan State, for instance. Michigan State is not bad against the run. They're pretty good against the run, but they are woeful against the pass. Like as bad as there is in the country, we saw that last week against Ohio State. But Tech is just bad all around. They don't stop the run well, and they clearly have no ability whatsoever to stop anyone through the air. So this is one of those teams you watch them play, especially on defense, that you just look at and you're like, because when I watch games, I try to like, I try to look for, I actively look for, okay, who are the dudes? Who are the guys that stand out? Who are the guys that we need to be worried about? And I do that with Tech, just like I do with any other team. And offensively, they have some guys. We'll get to them in just a minute here. But defensively, you look at that team and you're like, man, I don't see him. Like, you really are hard-pressed to find somebody to say, yeah, that dude, watch out for him. I mean, their leader in sacks only has three sacks. They don't have anyone that's disruptive on the defensive line. They don't. They aren't good at linebacker. They don't have game changers in the secondary. They just simply aren't good. And again, this is where talent has come back to hurt them. They don't recruit well. And despite the 404, the hashtag, and all that stuff, and Jeff Collins going out there and looking very cringy and all those photos, he is just not bringing in the players they need to execute his defense. And he has a reputation as a really good defensive coordinator, but it's hard to coordinate a defense when you don't have the players, when you don't have the dudes. And that is the situation that Georgia Tech currently finds themselves in on that side of the ball. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Now, on the other side of the ball, offensively, they haven't been as bad as they have been on defense, of course, but they've just been okay. Like they've been pretty decent at times, but they haven't been able to put it together with any sort of consistency. And that's, as you would imagine, with a team that's 3-8 and eight going into the final week of the season. They did put up good numbers on offense against Virginia and Duke, but like those are the two best offensive performances of the year. But those two teams also just so happened to be 122nd and 129th nationally, respectively, in total defense. So about as bad as it can get. So they, they put up numbers on those teams, but what does that really tell you? Outside of that, this Georgia Tech offense has been entirely pedestrian. They're 79th nationally in total offense, averaging 385 yards a game, 73rd nationally in yards per play, 5.73 yards per play, 78th in offensive efficiency. You guys, you guys kind of, you get in the trend here. They're slightly below average, all right? They're not quite middle of the pack. They're a little bit below the middle of the pack offensively. That's kind of what they've been all year. Now, when they have had success on offense, it's been with explosive plays. They're actually top 40 nationally in plays of 20 or more yards offensively. They've actually put together 57 plays of 20 plus yards. I categorize that as an explosive play. So that will clearly be very important for us in this game. Make Tech drive the length of the field consistently and don't give up those explosive plays. And here's the thing, it just so happens that we are better than anyone in the country at limiting those explosive plays, only giving up 23 plays of 20 or more yards all season long. In fact, we've been really good at limiting explosive rushing plays, only giving up three runs of 20 or more yards and only one run of 30 or more yards on the season. So obviously they are better offensively than they are defensively, but what is it exactly that they like to do on offense? How is this offense structured? Now, without going into too much of a deep dive here, because I know you guys aren't really all that interested, and I would love to do it, but I know you guys don't really care. You want me to get to Bama, and I'm going to try to do that here as quickly as I can. But I do want to give you a little bit of a taste of what they do offensively. Uh, in a nutshell, to make it simple for you, they are, they're they a spread-based team that almost exclusively operates at a shotgun, like, I mean, a lot of teams out there these days, most teams, honestly, at this point in college football. They are uh, a pretty screen-heavy team, a lot of screen action, especially to their running backs. They do run the ball more than they throw it, but there's not a, a wide divergence in their splits there. They run the ball 56% of the time, and they want to try to use that. They want to set up the run to take up to take deep shots to Malachi Carter, who is their big play threat at wide receiver. He's their leading wide receiver. And he's a guy that does have the ability to be a big play threat. He doesn't do it consistently because they just aren't that good offensively on a consistent basis. But he does have that ability. Now, if Jeff Sims is healthy, he's going to be their starting quarterback. If he's playing they will incorporate a good amount of quarterback run game into the equation, which is something that always concerns me. I know we've done a really good job of limiting that. We've played a lot of teams this year that have helped prepare us for that. we played a lot of teams. I think about it, going back to, you know, Bo Nix against Auburn, you go back. I mean, DJ Uyungle to a degree, but not. Nah, I didn't really use him like that. But then, uh, of, of course, you've got KJ Jefferson against Arkansas. Will Levis is, is a runner. He's a guy that can absolutely hurt you with his legs against Kentucky. You got the two quarterbacks at Florida with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, Hendon Hooker at Tennessee, and even Charleston Southern's quarterback last week. I mean, we've had a lot of practice 
working against mobile quarterbacks. So you like to think that helps us here, but it still always kind of makes me a little bit nervous as the quarterback running game is a great equalizer. It's what gives the offense numbers of advantages in the box. And we've done a really good job of handling that this year and be able to, to contain opposing offenses rushing attacks with even numbers in the box, which as I've said all year long has been a key to everything that we've done defensively, Jordan Davis being the, the, the key cog in all of that. But if Jeff Sims is healthy, they're going to use him in the run game quite a bit. He has double-digit carries in all but one of his appearances. He has not played every game this year because he's dealt with a couple different injuries. And he also has not played the last two games. I, I've been looking all week. I've been scouring the internet for any kind of Georgia Tech conversation, any kind of tidbits I can pick up. And this kind of tells you how irrelevant Georgia Tech is on the national college football scene. There's just like nothing out there. Even the AJC, who's supposed to be covering Georgia Tech, they have nothing about Jeff Sims right now and his injury status. I'm sitting here, it's Tuesday night right now, and I've seen absolutely nothing. I can't even find Jeff Collins' press conference, his opening press conference for the week. So I, I don't know. I can't find like even a hint of Jeff Sims talk. Nothing. So I don't know. I know he wasn't ready last week. He wasn't available last week. And maybe he will be this week. I don't know. I would imagine he'll try to give it a go if he can. I know this is a big in-state rivalry. Obviously, you want to play in this game. But I, right now, I do not know. But if he does play, you imagine that he's going to be a part of the run game because that's just kind of what they do with Jeff Sims. But if it's not Jeff Sims, and Sims is the more talented of the two quarterbacks. He's tall, uh, lanky kind of guy, but he runs really well. He's a long strider. He's a guy that can really hurt you with his legs. You know, he can hurt you enough with your with his arm because of the way you have to respect his legs. He's kind of a push passer. What I mean by that is when you watch him play, he kind of pushes the ball. The way he throws it actually reminds me a lot of Vince Young, if you can think back a couple years ago, not a couple years, more than a couple years ago now, but Vince Young, he's kind of just pushed the ball, right? And that's really what Jeff Sims does, but he's good enough with his legs with the way you have to defend him to do enough to hurt you with his arm. But if it's not going to be Jeff Sims, the other guy is Jordan Yates. He's a guy a couple years ago, you might have watched him play in the state championship game, the 7A state championship game with Milton. Uh, he went to Georgia Tech, and he'll be the guy if Sims cannot go. He's also a mobile guy. Again, if you watched him play some in high school, you know that Jordan Yates can move. Um, he can create with his legs, but not really in the same way that Sims can. And they just really don't call a ton of design runs for him. I don't know if that if that's because they don't trust and they don't believe in him as a runner or if it's like, well, you're in there because you're the backup and that means Jeff Sims is out so we can't bring him in. Their third string guy was actually not available last week against Notre Dame either. So I think that probably has more to do with it that the fact that he just might be their only like viable, healthy option quarterback and they don't want to risk getting him hurt because they're going to have absolutely no chance if he goes down. So that might be it, but they just haven't used him in the design quarterback run game as much as they have Jeff Sims, which has always been kind of strange because he is a mobile guy, but I guess that's to do with the, the injury situation. And, and, and Yates has been all right, I guess, at best. Like he's had some, some decent moments. You go back to that Clemson game, I watched that one uh, when it happened. I went back and watched it again this week. He was okay in that game. He, he didn't hurt him. Let's say that. He didn't kill him. He was 20 of 34 for 203 yards. Kind of kept them hanging around in that game, but also didn't really make any plays to help them win that game. He was kind of just like, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to do enough to kind of keep us in it. And that's kind of how it was. But the last two starts against Boston College and Notre Dame, the guy's been bad. He's been really, really bad. Um, 31 for 56 for 222 yards passing total in those two games. I think through for 96 total against Notre Dame last week. It was a bad watch, guys. I mean, I had to sit through that and watch it. I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't make it through the entire game. I made it a little bit into the second half, and I was like, all right, this is done. I've seen enough. Uh, but he was bad, man. He had no chance through a, a, a 
bad, bad, bad interception that got returned for a touchdown. Just not good. He's also been sacked nine times in those last two starts against Boston College and Notre Dame. And those are two pretty good defenses, but they're not like Georgia level defenses. It's just been a rough go for them the past couple weeks. And Jordan Yates has not been particularly good. And there's a good chance that he will be their guy this week. We don't know. I don't know. If I find out anything, as soon as I hear anything, I'm still looking, guys. As soon as I find anything, I'll let you guys know. If we, if I find something out and I hear something before Charlie and I sit down to record our Pixel of the Week episode, I'll certainly put it out there then. But right now, I don't know. It's going to be one of those two guys. We'll see. Um, it's just crazy, man. Like, there's just, like, it tells you again just how irrelevant Georgia Tech is when they're going to rivalry week here, clean old fashioned hate, and you just can't even find out, like, not even who the starting quarterback is going to be. I don't expect. Jeff Collins to tell us who it's going to be, but you can't even find any kind of speculation. There's like no articles even speculating about who it might or might not be. It's just weird, man. That's just weird. But if you're looking at this offense, I got to talk about him. Got to talk about him. The big name to know for this tech offense is running back Jameer Gibbs. I will be honest with you guys. I hate to give tech any credit here. I hate to give any of their players any credit. I hate tech. I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, those of you who've been listening for a long time, you probably do know this, but some of our newer listeners, you might not realize this because we don't talk a lot of Georgia Tech because they just haven't been really good, right? I hate Tech. And in fact, I hate Georgia Tech. Like if you ask me, Tyler, who do you hate of all of our rivals? So we have a bunch of rivals, right? You got Florida, you got Tech, you got Auburn, you got Tennessee, you got South Carolina, even depending on where you live in the state and the proximity to those local fan bases, that typically kind of colors who you hate the most. I grew up in Gwinnett County, um, which is kind of like, you know, people. it can be transient at times, I guess. People come from different places. So I was around a lot of different kind of fans. It wasn't all Georgia fans. It wasn't all Tech fans. It wasn't all Florida fans. Auburn. There's a mixed bag there. But for me, Georgia Tech is the top of my list. And I know I know guys that they haven't been good. And this a lot of people are saying this rivalry isn't even really a rivalry anymore because we've, we've just dominated so much. And I get that. I'm kind of with you on that. In fact, I wish we just didn't play Georgia Tech anymore because they don't deserve to have us play them. I would rather see us go play bigger non-conference matchups more consistently than have to sit here and play Georgia Tech at the end of the year. But I hate Georgia Tech. I hate them with a very deep abiding passion. I really, really do. And I guess, I don't know if there's like a one specific reason for that. It's just kind of growing up. That's just where my hate was. And I hate Florida too. Florida's a very, very, very close second, but I hate Georgia Tech. And I guess maybe it's because like when they have beat us, the few isolated times they do beat us, they act like they have just won the freaking Super Bowl, man. And for a year, you got to sit there and listen to it, even though you know that you have the superior program. Somehow, some way, they were able to win it for that year, and it just eats at me. Because as far as I'm concerned, Georgia Tech should never, and I mean that, guys, never beat us in football. It should never, ever happen. So the few isolated times it does happen, it really does bother me, and they just show out, and they come out of the woodwork. Because, you know, there is no such thing as a Georgia Tech fan most years, because most years they're terrible and no one wants to admit they're a Georgia Tech fan. But by God, the one year here and there where they beat Georgia, everyone wants to wants you to know how much of a Georgia Tech fan they are. And I swear to God, I hate them for that. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. So yeah, I, I and on one hand, I don't want to play them anymore because I want to play bigger non-conference matchups. I want to travel to Oregon and Michigan and places like that. But it's also really fun to beat them, you know? It hasn't been as fun lately, I will say, because it's just gotten to the point where we just have surpassed them so significantly, but it's still always fun. It's still always really, really fun to beat them. So just want to put that out there. I don't like giving them any credit, but Jameer Gibbs is a stud and I really wanted him out of high school. Now, of course, I wanted a couple other guys ahead of him. He wasn't the top running back coming out. It was uh, the same class as Zach Evans. 
But he's another casualty of us going all in on Zach Evans. Tank Bigsby at Auburn was the other one of those casualties at running back when we went all in on Zach Evans. But Jameer Gibbs is the other one. Basically, we just slow played both Gibbs and Tank Bigsby that season because we were trying to land Zach Evans. And ultimately, we did end up landing Zach Evans. And it would have been great if everything would have worked out and Zach Evans wasn't an idiot and didn't lose his mind. But Zach Evans is an idiot. Zach Evans does have some issues in his background. And my problem with that is we knew that. Like, that wasn't a surprise. Like, what happened, what, how it kind of blew up the end there, that wasn't the first incident with Zach Evans that he had with his coaches and, and the first kind of red flag that you had seen from Zach Evans. We kind of ignored those early red flags in favor of his talent because it was just that tantalizing. My thing is with that, looking, now, no, no, it's hindsight's always 2020, right? But looking back at it, Zach Evans was the more talented of all those guys. Yes, he was more talented than Tank Bigsby. He's more talented than Jameer Gibbs. But was it, was the gap that significant to warrant bypassing those guys that would have been more sure things, better character guys, and you could have landed both those guys or whichever one of you wanted, whether it was Jameer Gibbs or Tank Bigsby, I would have taken Bigsby, but Gibbs is not that far behind Tank in my opinion. Um, was was the gap that big to just tell those guys thanks, but no thanks, we're gonna go with Evans, even with his red flags? In my opinion, no. You guys know I love Curry Smart. I think he's the best thing that's happened in Georgia football in a long, long time. And he is one hell of a recruiter. And he has our program knocking right on the front door of a national championship. But that doesn't mean he's perfect. I do think that's one mistake he made. I would love to have Jameer Gibbs on our team right now. That guy is the truth. In fact, he's now leading the FBS in all-purpose yards per game with 163.8 yards per game. Running, catching, returning, you name it, the guy does it, and he's a threat at all of it. He's a threat as a runner. He's a threat as a receiver. He's uh, their leading rusher with 745 yards. Mason is their, is their other guy. Uh, he's more of a power back, but he has about half the yards that Gibbs has. So he's their leading rusher, 745 yards. He's also their second leading receiver, and it's really close. He's almost their leading rusher and their leading receiver. He's only three catches and 20 yards behind Malachi Carter, who is their leading receiver. So he, for all practical purposes, is their leading rusher and leading receiver. I mean, you might as well just say it. And he's a really smooth, explosive athlete. He's got that quick twitch that make you miss ability in space. He's also got really good vision. And he and Sims really make a formidable duo in the backfield run the football when both guys are healthy. Problem is they haven't been healthy together all that much this season. Now, their offensive line is not very good. I will say that. They've been banged up. They're missing a starter. Uh, they're 47th in line yards, 43rd in stuff rate. Uh, they're worse protecting the passer. They're 103rd nationally in sacks allowed, 93rd nationally in sack rate. So offensive line's not very good, but it's kind of a testament to how good Gibbs is, even behind a, a pretty bad offensive line. He still managed to put up big-time numbers, big-time production. And again, he's leading the nation in all-purpose yards per game, 163.8 yards per play, or yards per game. And look, guys, they're going to feed him the football. He's by far the best player in their team. They're going to find all sorts of different ways to get him the ball. I'm fully expecting trick plays, the kitchen sink, you name it, whatever. Onside kicks, halfback passes, quarterback throwbacks, Statue of Liberties, the annexation of Puerto Rico, whatever you want to throw out there, whatever trick play you got, I'm fully expecting it. But we're going to see a healthy, healthy, healthy dose of Jameer Gibbs. And he's a guy that doesn't want to say he scares me because we really are good against the run. We've been so good defensively. But you got to be aware of this guy. I mean, I respect him. I'll say that. I respect this guy. He's very, very good, by far the best player. And if they somehow put the fear of God in us, 
he's going to be a big part of that. So that's Georgia Tech. One of the worst defenses in the country, 109th nationally in defense efficiency, that is playing its worst football of the season right now, going against the third most efficient offense in the country, which I know might surprise some of you guys out there. But yes, even those of you who hate on our offense, statistically, we're actually pretty good. Uh, and it's a better offense. Tech's offense is better, led by one of the most dynamic playmakers in the country, and Jameer Gibbs, going against the most efficient defense in the country. Not a great matchup for them. The one saving grace they've had this year on offense is hitting those big plays. But unfortunately for them, we also happen to be the best in the country at limiting big plays. So it's going to be very difficult for them to move the ball up and down the field in a grinded out fashion enough to be able to score enough to beat us. It's just a bad matchup for Tech. Obviously, they don't have the talent. They don't have the personnel. And if you look at the matchups, it's just not a recipe for success for Georgia Tech this weekend. Now, look, anything can happen. College ball is crazy. Rivalry week is crazy. This game should not be close. It has no business being close. I don't love that we have some guys that are banged up. That does concern me like ever so slightly, I guess. Like, I don't feel great about that. I hope Nolan's playing. My only concern here, my big concern, well, Gibbs is a concern for me, but my big concern is us just staying focused, keeping the main thing, the main thing, focus on this game, bring the energy like we have all year. It hasn't been a problem all year. In years past, it has been a problem. Old Georgia Syndrome would lead you to believe it's going to happen at some point. It hasn't happened year, happened yet this year. A big part of that is, as we've said all year long, this team is just different. They're built differently, and they play that standard as opposed to playing to your opponent. But I just, if we bring our A game and if we bring our focus, this game should not be close. But again, it's rivalry week. You never know. And that's why I at least want to give you some sort of preview here for this game so I didn't put those bad vibes out into the universe. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, so I know that tech preview wasn't the deep dive that we normally give you guys. But as I said at the outset of the show, that's by design, as many of you wanted us to, get, to really just skip it entirely and focus straight up on the SEC championship game. So let's go there next. Obviously, the matchup with Bama will be our exclusive focus next week. We'll be all over that next week for you guys. But we know you guys want it today, want a little bit of it. So I'm going to give you a little taste of the Alabama preview stuff today. We've got a ton of questions about this game already, so I'm just going to touch on a couple of themes in those questions. I'm going to save some of the specific questions for the mailbag next week, but there are some pretty clear themes that were emerging in a lot of those questions, so I thought we could use that as a way to guide us through this very, very early preview of the SEC Championship game. I, don't, I hesitate to even call it a preview. It's not really a preview. It's just a an early conversation, an early look at the SEC Championship game against Alabama next week. So the first big question we've been getting, the first big theme 
is what are the weaknesses of this Bama team that we can exploit? Listeners uh, have seen Bama obviously struggle some with the likes of LSU and Arkansas over the past couple weeks. And people want to know where we think those weaknesses are and how we would go about attacking them. Here's how I would start this conversation. Weaknesses, I feel like, is a very strong word in this sense. I don't know if there are weaknesses per se. I would use different language. I would call them areas where they are more vulnerable than others. Because it's all relative. Like Bama doesn't really have weaknesses. They just have areas where they have greater vulnerabilities, maybe. And if you want to call that a weakness, fine, whatever, semantics, I get that. It's kind of though what I've been saying all year about this Alabama team. Going back to like the preseason, guys, when we were doing our preseason picks, our predictions, I think this Alabama team is really, really good. They're extremely talented. They're as talented as just about any team in the country. Uh, you can throw, I mean, we're number, like, we're the most talented team in the country. Alabama's right, right there. You know, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, in some order, those are the most talented teams in the country. They're still really good, really talented. But it's just not a vintage Alabama team. They're just not quite as talented in key spots as they have been in years past. I'm gonna give you a couple examples here. First, let's open the secondary. Now, if you're talking about areas where, if you wanna use the word weaknesses, that's fine, or vulnerabilities, whatever. The first area I wanna point out is their secondary. And if you watched the Arkansas game last week, you know what I'm talking about. And it's not just the Arkansas game. Now, statistically, they're still pretty good against the passing. They're 54th nationally in passing yards allowed per game, which is not great, but that's not terrible. That's certainly not to their standard. And I think if you look at their secondary, they're just simply not as good in the back end. They're talented relative to the rest of college football, they're just not as talented as you expect Alabama to be in the back end. One big problem for them is they don't have that dude at cornerback. They don't have a, a Sertan, a Kirkpatrick, a D. Milner, no Minka Fitzpatrick, although Fitzpatrick was obviously more of a star. Um, Josh Job is a good player. They're expecting him to be their top cornerback this year, and he's good. He's not bad. He's not like a liability. I wouldn't call him that. But he isn't that level. He's not that elite type guy. He's not an obvious first round draft pick at cornerback. And then Jalen Armour Davis isn't that guy either on the opposite side there. So they're they're good. They're fine. They're solid at cornerback. They're just not elite. They're not great there. They're just not. And then Malachi Moore at star, like he's a good player in the slot, but he's not Minka Fitzpatrick. Like he's not that level of guy. He's good. He's solid. He's not bad, but he's not elite. He's not elite right now. That's just the fact. And the safeties behind them are just not up to Alabama standard. They're just not. Jordan Battle, I mean, you, guys, you've watched them play, right? Number nine, Jordan Battle. That dude is stiff. He is straight up stiff. He's an absolute liability in coverage. He's pretty good at run support, although he'll take some bad angles at times, but he's a liability in coverage. If we get Brock Bowers mashed up on him, that is a big time advantage for us in this game. And then the other guy, DeMarco Helms, isn't really that much better. They're, they're similar. They're just not that talented back there. They're not as athletic. They don't have those kind of ball skills. They don't have the closing speed. They're just not as good at safety as they have been in years past. And look, I know that we don't have this dynamic passing offense that's going to throw the ball 40 times a game and just light them up. But neither does Arkansas. KJ Jefferson has thrown for 300 yards three times a season. Once against Georgia Southern, as you might imagine. Once against Ole Miss, terrible Ole Miss defense. And then once against Alabama on the road in Bryant-Denny for a 330 game. It, the rest of the season, he's got games against Rice for 128, Texas 138, AM 212, Georgia 65 yards, uh, Arkansas Pine, Pine Bluff 194. I didn't play that entire game. Mississippi State 191, LSU 142. That dude is not a passer at quarterback. 
and he lit Bama up 22 of 33, 26, three touchdowns, no picks, 73% completion percentage, and absolutely lit them up. And they have one single receiver to speak of. Traylon Burks is awesome. I think Traylon Burks is maybe the best receiver in the entire league, but he's the only guy they got. And they simply had no answer for the Arkansas passing game. And that is just not what Arkansas does. So there are vulnerabilities there. And, and uh, all reason I bring Arkansas in the equation is I know that we don't have this dynamic passing offense, but neither does Arkansas. And Arkansas lit them up. I think we're going to have opportunities to hit big plays. Now, I don't think, I know that we're going to have opportunities to hit big plays in the passing game, just like there were last year. Todd Munkin is going to dial them up for us. The thing is, we just got to hit them. We didn't hit enough of them last year. Stetson in the second half simply did not hit enough of them. He's got to change that this year. He's got to change conversation. He's got to hit them this year. And if we do, if he does, we are going to be in a really good spot in this game. Now, I also don't think their front seven on defense in general is up to Alabama standards against the run. Now, Will Anderson, I'll talk about him a little bit more here later on, but you guys know. Will Anderson's a flat-out monster. He's talented. He's long. Plays with a really high motor. He's a game changer, man. He's a game changer in that front seven. But the interior guys on that defense line aren't the same level as guys of years past. Like they're good. DJ Dale's good. So is Fedarian Mathis. But they aren't Marcel Darius or Quinn and Williams. They aren't those type of guys. But more than anything, their reputations notwithstanding, I think their biggest liability against the run in that front seven are their inside linebackers. And they have these reputations, you know, especially Henry Toto, the big time transfer coming over from Tennessee. Christian Harris been playing for a while now for them. Those guys are both really physically talented guys. Like they're gifted physically. They should be a lot better than they've played the season, but they just have not been great at all. Both are liabilities in coverage. We need to use James Cook and Kenny McIntosh in the passing game a lot in this one. Let's not forget last year, right? It was Christian Harris that we got matched up on James Cook when we hit that long touchdown to James. We motioned him out of the backfield, lined up wide receiver, and basically just ran a go route and just lit up Christian Harris on that play. And that's not the only time I've seen that happen to Christian Harris throughout the season. It's happened a couple of times. It happened against Arkansas last week. Arkansas did something very similar to what we did to them. Uh, they called them a man coverage, motioned running back out of the backfield, and got Christian Harris matched up on him and hit a big play against Christian Harris. Those opportunities are going to be there. And again, we're going to need to hit them. And their inside linebackers, like they're they're also inconsistent in their run fits. They don't disengage from the blockers well. Like Toe Toe, like man, he is just he has regressed so much. He was so much better at Tennessee. I don't know if it's the product of playing in a in a new system. Like it's not, it's a very similar system coming from Tennessee with Jeremy Pruitt. I don't know, new team, new coaches. I don't know, but he looks lost out there half the time. So those guys have just not been good at all. So I think there are some issues in the front seven and in the secondary against that Alabama defense. Now, it's again, I will say it once again, it's all relative. If you look at like statistically the total defense numbers, Alabama is still a top 10 defense nationally. They're number nine nationally, giving up 306.5 yards per game. Uh, if you look at it from an efficiency standpoint, yards per play, they're top 15, not quite as good from a yards per play standpoint. Still only giving up 4.83 yards per play. So they're still like statistically very good. So I'm, I'm certainly nitpicking here. But if you're talking about a battle between two Titans, right? Where are some areas where they are vulnerable? I think you say the secondary and like the middle of that defense. I think there's there's some areas where we can exploit and have some success against that Alabama defense. 
And then on the other side of the ball, I think we're going to own the interior of their offensive line. Evan Neal is a really good player at left tackle, although I would also say he's not as good as his reputation would suggest he is. He's a former five-star guy. A lot of times those guys just get the benefit of the doubt. I think about, think back to like the Tennessee offensive line last year, right? Darnell Wright, all those big-time five-star guys they had, and they were just absolute garbage. Everyone thought coming into the season, they're going to be so awesome. And I was like, no, they're not good. They're just not good. And that's kind of the same thing with Evan Neal, like to obviously a lesser degree. He's not garbage. He's still a good player, but he's just not like this elite left tackle like his reputation would suggest that he is. But the big issue for them is the interior of that offensive line. Christian Dowcourt at center, those guys there. As far as I'm concerned, watching them play, the interior of that offensive line is not ready for December 4th. They ain't ready for that. Not right now. And if we can control their run game and keep a too high shell like we have all season, those big play opportunities are really going to be limited for Alabama. And that's how they kill you, right? You guys have watched them for a couple of years now. They bludgeon you with a run game. If you give them the run game, they'll bludgeon you with that. And they'll try to force you out of the too high shell. And they're going to hit big plays in the pass game when you do that. So as to how I would attack them on defense, I think you got to force them to beat you with a run. I think you really have to. I don't think that Brian Robinson is an elite running back. He's had a good productive year. He's not a game changer running back. He's good. Like everyone else on the team, he's good. He's played for Alabama. Of course he's good. He's not Najee Harris, all right? He's not Derrick Henry. He's not those guys. You have to force them to beat you with the run and don't roll guys down. Don't come at that too high shell. Force them to go 10 plays and score consistently doing that. If they do, tip, tip your cap to them. Great job, guys. But big plays are what they want to hit. So I really don't want to give them those opportunities because that's how they change games. That's how they change momentum. Think about, think about last year, guys, when we played them. We were up at halftime, right? Well documented. We know that. How did they take the lead in the second half? How did they beat us? They hit explosive plays. We cannot allow that to happen. We have to force them to go, like we have every other team this year, force them to go down the field and grind it out. So that's, that's kind of how I would attack it. Obviously, I'll go into a lot more detail with that next week. But another big theme in the questions we've gotten is, what is your biggest concern about this game? Again, I'll go into a lot more detail with this next week. But I want you guys want an early little taste of this, a little early preview. So I'll give you a little bit here. I think we match up really well with Alabama. I really do. And I'll, again, I'll go into more detail of that next week. I think we can slow down their run game and force them to beat us with the pass. And I know Alabama's been able to do that to just about everybody else. I mean, uh, Bryce Young threw for what, 560 or whatever against Arkansas? Yeah, he's capable of doing that. But I just don't think their receivers are as dynamic. They're really good. Here's the theme, right? Really good, but not as good as what we've seen in the past. Even last year with Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith. So if we can at least hold their run game in check, I don't know if we'll completely stifle it because they're, they're still really good, but if we can hold it in check and keep two high safeties all game long and be able to play different coverages and mix things up against this Alabama offense, I don't think their receivers are good enough to consistently carve us up the way that Alabama was able to in the second half of that game last year. So just put that out there. I think we match up really well with them, but there are some things that do concern me. Foremost among those is Will Anderson. He is what concerns me most about this Alabama team, and it's really not even close. I've made no secret all season long about how I feel about our offensive line. We're, we're, we're good enough. like We've done a good enough job on, on the offensive line, but when we play some of these elite pass rushers that we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, I have some concerns there. And Will, and Will Anderson, guys, is literally as good as there is in the country 
rushing the passer as an edge rusher. He's not only leading the country in sacks, he's also leading the country in tackles for loss. This guy is a game changer extraordinaire, and we need a healthy Jamari Salyer, and we need him in a big way in this game. Even that alone is probably not going to be enough. Grant the chip. We're going to have to do some different things to kind of take Williamson. I don't know if you could ever take him out of the game because he just plays so hard, but to make it harder for him and to limit the impact that he has on this game. And I think this is a, a game where Stetson Bennett's mobility could actually be really important because Will Anderson is dynamic. And, and, you know, Dallas Turner's young, he's thin, he's growing, he's learning, but he is a very athletic, dangerous passer. He's another guy that I would have loved to have had on our team and we almost got him too. Thought we were going to get him, but he ends up at Alabama. Um, he's young, he's inexperienced. I think you can run right at him, but he's a good dangerous pass rusher. So Stetson's mobility, his ability to skate the pocket and kind of just create, I think it's gonna be important in this game. But Will Anderson's gotta be at the top of the list of things that concern you, of course. And then the other thing here I'm gonna mention, we'll talk more about this next week, of course, is Bryce Young's escapability. Obviously, we know what he can do as a passer. I mean, again, he just put up 500 plus yards against Arkansas. But his escapability is something that is really tough to account for. He's not a guy they do a ton of like design quarterback runs. In fact, they do almost no design quarterback run stuff with him. But that doesn't mean he doesn't impact the game with his legs. He absolutely does because he's athletic enough and quick twitch enough to be just slippery back there. Kind of like Bo Nixon. Way. He, like That's the closest comp I can come up with. He's just a guy that when you dial up the pressure and you get back there, he just has this, this innate ability to escape it and just kind of slip away from the pressure. And that's what cost us the game back in 2018 with Jalen Hurts. When he came in the game, that's what changed in the fourth quarter. You guys know, I mean, I don't want to relive it, but like he escaped the pocket and he was able to create with his legs. One, one he ran in for a touchdown. One, he was able to escape the pocket and created a kind of a scramble drill and hit a touchdown pass there. That's why we lost that game. We did not contain him in the pocket. We made mistakes and did not contain him. So his ability to extend plays like Hurts did is something that concerns me. And that's also where a guy like Adam Anderson really would have played a big role in this game. That's where it hurts us because that's what he did a lot of. We know what he can do rushing the passer, but what Adam did a lot of was just mirroring those quarterbacks, those guys that were dual threat guys that escaped the pocket. He was really, really good at that. Now, obviously we're gonna have a plan to compensate for that loss, but it would be really nice to have Adam in this game and we don't. So that's certainly something that does concern me in this game. But uh, all right, guys, that was just a little bit of a taste, a little taste there. We'll go into a lot more detail next week, but you guys asked for it, so I wanna give you a little bit of something there. But thanks for listening, guys. I really do appreciate it. I hope everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving. I guess Charlie and I will probably be back with our picks episode before Thanksgiving. But if not, doesn't hurt to say, happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. Hope you guys are enjoying the time with your family. Charlie and I will be back here. Uh, we'll be back probably, what, Wednesday night, Thursday morning with our picks of the week. So make sure to check back then. It's going to be an extended picks of the week episode. I don't know if it'll be longer, but we're going to be picking more games. It's it's hate week. It's rivalry week. We want to eat this stuff up. We love the rivalry. So we're going to try to pick as many of these rivalry games as we possibly can. So we'll have some fun with that. But thanks for listening, guys. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>